Hey, hey, hey. I know you're like, whoa, I'm not used to hearing Em's voice off the top, but we are shaking things up. We're trying new things. And after listening month over month, I felt like it might be nice to understand the episode from the start. So let's try this format. As day one is creeping up on its first birthday, I cannot believe it. We have covered so many topics. We've had people come on and share their own personal fertility stories to doctors and specialists sharing their expertise with us, but we have yet to dive into the conversation surrounding advocacy work within the fertility industry, and this is arguably some of the most important work that is under-resourced yet greatly needed, and that is why I am so excited to have Tara Wood join me today. Tara runs a PR consultancy by day and advocates for more affordable and accessible fertility treatment by night, like the modern Batwoman. (laughs) She is the volunteer president of Conceivable Dreams, a grassroots organization advocating for current and future families. She was part of the team that helped lobby for the Ontario Fertility Program, which provides government-funded IVF. How cool is that? That work inspired her own fertility journey, first as a single woman and then with her partner. Despite her struggles with infertility, she is a passionate advocate working to strengthen government funding for treatment and improve employer benefit plans to be more inclusive and family friendly and family friendly. Boom. I couldn't even say that at the end. It's just my mind was blown as I talk about her and the work that she does. Episode 37 entitled Fertility Benefits Matters covers all of this, but also how we can get involved and help spread the word and speak up to make change. Now to my conversation with Tara. This episode is powered by Twig Fertility, Toronto's newest fertility clinic. Twig has reimagined every aspect of the clinical experience to be more thoughtful, more personal, and more comfortable for you. With a brand new state-of-the-art on-site embryology lab designed to achieve the best possible outcomes. Twig's full suite clinic provides a more integrated approach to your care at every stage of your journey. To learn more or book your fertility consult, go to www.twigfertility.com. Two years ago, at six months pregnant, we lost our baby girl to an undetected external infection. And what has followed took us down a path we could never have predicted. You know, I was used to getting pregnant quickly and unassisted. The infertility journey came as a surprise. No one talked to me about getting my ovarian reserve tested. You know, no one told me that just because I got pregnant easily with my first and my second, it it didn't mean that I could expect the same with my third or fourth for that matter. I thought IUIs were a for sure thing. I thought IVF was a one month process and that that's just the physical part. All these assumptions were incorrect, but why would I know any better? I'm Emily Geds, and this is the Day One Podcast, a show dedicated to the unspoken side of fertility. Here I share my story and bring together moms, dads, parents-to-be, doctors, specialists, and healers to help break stigmas, normalize the conversation, let's bring education to the forefront, and most importantly, build a community so the journey doesn't feel so lonely. Hello, hello. Hi. Well, you've been on my mind to get on this podcast for months and months. <laughs> and we finally made it happen. It is bananas um, when you talk to somebody like, you know, it four or five months ago and then in like a snap of a finger. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, COVID. Was that last 
week, yesterday, four years ago. I have no idea. <laughs> you are there. Sometimes I have a guest come on and I'm like, I don't even know like if we'll have time for all the things that I want to get to. Um, but I think what makes most sense is just to like, cause you're doing such amazing, amazing work. And then your, your story on top of it makes the work even more interesting as a choice. So, um, can we just start like on your fertility? Like, how did you start to approach that in your yeah. world? So my journey into this world was kind of unique in that I was actually working, I work in public affairs. So I was working for a government relations firm who was doing work with Conceivable Dreams, a patient group that lobbies for more accessible and affordable fertility care. So at that time, uh, we were helping them lobby the Ontario government for a funded fertility program, funded IVF. Um, So that's how I got to know that this was an issue. At the time I was in my thirties, I was divorced. I was living the single life, wasn't really thinking too much about a family. Uh, but I loved that this was an issue that touched so many people um, that so many of myself and my single friends um, were talking about. Um, so I was dealing with a lot of docs. One of them said, why don't we do testing to see where you're at in your journey? Uh, and I was like, sounds good. I was 35 did my fertility testing just to see where I was at and found out I have a very low AMH among other things. And essentially the doctor said, you should move on this now if you want to have a family, uh, which was whew, shocking at the moment. So I did, you know, I knew I always wanted a family. So I, I picked a sperm donor, did my Tinder for donors, got a sperm donor, froze the embryos. And of course, fast forward a month. I meet my now partner, (laughs) Uh, we continue on and we then go through our own uh, fertility journey. So we've done IUI, IVF, all of the rounds, nothing's been successful. Um, So my journey is, is over, but what it did do through all of that was inspired my work that started as paid GR work. Uh, I actually became the the president of Conceivable Dreams two years later as my fertility journey started um, and have really dove in to become a passionate advocate to lead to policy change in this space because there are so many barriers facing people. So before we get into Conceivable Dreams, because that is just the, the work you're doing is so hard and brilliant and roadblock, 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 (laughs) you know, it's like a fertility journey, basically. (laughs) (laughs) But if we go back a bit, um, I want to dive into your own story first, because I think it's really important to shed light on, you know, what happens when the, you, the end of your journey is no baby. And, you know, everybody in this fertility community, um, I think is so fearful of that reality. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to ask you like, first, when, what happened where you kind of knew that, you know, we're closing the door on this? I'm, I'm kind of done. Yeah. Um, so we had our last, we started our last round of IVF 
in January of 2020, so right before COVID, um, and had to cancel the cycle because it was just abysmal. And we're, my partner and I are both self-employed. Um, we know how expensive it is, how mentally draining it is going through cycle after cycle, month after month, year after year. Um, so January 2020 was the end of our journey. And I'll add that I'm, I'm really pragmatic and a realist about this stuff where could we have found the money to do another round? Absolutely. Um, but I really felt based on my medical prognosis that it was very unlikely for me to get pregnant. And the other thing I need in mind is I have three embryos. I have three embryos. They would never be my partner's biological children because I've picked a sperm donor there. So I guess in my mind, like I've said it's over, but like, Hey, <laughs> when does the door ever really close? Um, last year I turned 40. Uh, so I know, I don't know if I, if I want to go down the family route right now. So if I don't use those embryos, I'm going to donate them. Um, also adoption. Like there's, there's other ways entries into this. I have amazing nieces and nephews and best friends with kids and I love seeing them and spoiling them. So someone once said to me, you know, and I thought this was so awesome. You know, you don't need to bear a child to be a mom, to be an auntie, you know, you can still have all of those feelings and family with those around you. So I think we, we can't forget, um, you know, the privilege that comes with having awesome people in our life too. That is such a interesting, I love the word interesting. I feel like if I took a shot every time I said interesting on this podcast, I would be on the floor, but, um, perspective to take because you, a lot of people in fertility are triggered by all of the people in their lives that have family friends. Were you like that? And then you kind of, it kind of switched for you once you made that decision. Absolutely. And I'm still triggered. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, full disclosure, I was heartbroken when you announced your miscarriage. Um, and part of me goes like, oh, well, at least you could get pregnant, right? right. Like it's, it was awful. That inner voice that's awful in the moment. That's so selfish. You can't help but have those feelings, but of course you're ecstatic for the people around you and everyone who makes families in many different ways. So, um, it's a lot easier as you get further away from the journey, but yeah, in the moment it's, it's really, really tough. We all know this. My, my thoughts on that is, uh, hearing you talk even about having embryos available to you. And I don't, is, you know, is the, the worry that the embryos wouldn't implant or do you feel really confident in that? And you're just, you and your partner, it's like that conversation of, do we want, you know, mm, do so, we want this? Yeah, no, it's more, uh, it's sound, according to my doctor, it's very unlikely because of the shape of my uterus, mm -hmm. the lining, it's very unlikely that those embryos would implant. There's mm -hmm. still a chance though. Um, it's the mental toll that comes also with thinking about starting this journey again, to think about going to a clinic, to have the heartache again, like, look at it. I'm already like ready to cry just thinking about it. Cause it's trauma spot. So I love my life. You know, I, I think if we don't have kids, we'll have an amazing life. If we have kids, it'd be amazing life. They would both come with different pros and cons. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. It's it's because it's trauma. It's like vol like fertility is this like voluntary <laughs> idea of going into trauma. So Absolutely. it's, 
you know, and then you grieve and you feel like you've come back to yourself. And then you're like, am I really going to then go, I've done all of this work. You know, I've crafted a life that I love. Am I going to go back into the trenches basically? Um, and that is, you're right. It's such a hard decision. Um, and it's also like our, eventually you have to come to peace with the decision that you've, that you've made. So it sounds sort of like you're, you've made it. It's nice to make a decision too. Cause it gives you some relief. It's like, maybe I'm just done IVF. Like I'm done the, trying to get all these eggs taken out of me. Um, yeah. and then the question becomes, okay, do I have it in me to try for transfers? Oh, you know, which, you know, I think <laughs> the big picture probably like, that's a lot easier, you know, like to my mind, that's well, not to my mind. Doing transfers would be like one and done. It's either we get pregnant yes. um, or we don't. And those are different conversations. My partner and I have had, he's amazing. Um, and you know, I think would be okay with not being biologically attached to the kids, but it's just, it's just different conversations that you need to have and be comfortable with and go through. Um, and COVID has provided us with lots of distractions. We also bought a house out in Prince Edward County that we're fixing up. So we have lots of distractions to keep us busy in the meantime. <laughs> and then you are like, you're out of it, but you're also so in it because of the work that you do. Yeah. Do you find that the work you're doing is can, on days be a bit of a trigger for you because it's such a, um, well, I love speaking with you and you, you, you give me so much, um, like you're fighting the fight really like, re- like I find, yes, you are, you are one of very few people that I've come in contact with that are actually trying to make change within the government, which is very, very hard. And within, um, not only the government, but within benefit organizations and like, that is like, ah. and then you're having your own, you're having your own personal experience with it. So how do you balance those? Um, and so admittedly, it's a lot easier now that I'm not in treatment. Uh, but what I love is hoping that I can make a difference to make this process easier and better for other people. Um, going through this is so lonely, emotionally, physically, financially draining, and there's solutions within reach. It just takes people, people like us. I'm not anyone special. I work in PR. Uh, I'm just one of those crazy people that's super organized, passionate, and loves campaigning for lack of a better, better word. Um, you know, all it takes is some dedication and lots of voices asking for the same thing. Like this is doable. We just have to ask for it. So why don't we let, let everyone know exactly <laughs> what you, <laughs> exactly what you do at Conceivable Dreams and what the mission is. And um, yeah. Yeah. So by day I run a PR consultancy and then in my spare time, I 
run a volunteer patient advocacy group called Conceivable Dreams. So, you know, our, we started in 2010 with an initial goal to create funded IVF in Ontario. In 2015, we secured that. And since then, uh, we're looking at how can we make fertility treatment more accessible and more affordable, uh, specifically here in Ontario, because uh, funding is kind of province by province. Uh, but in the last year, uh, we've also expanded our mandate to help make fertility benefits more inclusive and family friendly so we can have a national impact. What are you doing on a day to day to push yeah. to push this forward? And then what can we do? Like, what could the community do to, to help? Yeah. So I guess from I can see dreams, we kind of have like a two part mandate now. So one is keeping our work centered in Ontario, where we want to continue to improve the Ontario fertility program. So it's wonderful. You know, Ontario is one of the few provinces that actually has funded um, funding for IVF. But the program could be better. We only have one funded cycle. Uh, most of the clinics where you can get treatment are in urban centers. Uh, no new clinics can get funding. You're limited to one cycle. I think I mentioned that um, funding, the bucket of money that people, clinics can pull from kind of is a set amount for IUI and IVF. Wouldn't it be great if they could just pull that together? Because how many people are actually getting huge success rates from IUI? Um, and there's no way to measure or compare. So lots of room to improve that Ontario fertility program to make it better for everybody. Um, and I think the thing that came out when we got the Ontario fertility program, one of the big learnings for me was a lot of people still can't use the Ontario fertility program, even though it's free IVF, because they can't afford the cost of drugs. So that's what led to my, like the creation of Fertility Benefits Matters. Uh, we hired an agency to help us with some research to understand what do, what are employers offering when it comes to fertility benefits and found out most aren't offering any. Um, and only 5% of employers in Canada are actually offering tr uh, money for the treatment portion plus the drugs. Most only cover the drugs piece. So we saw a huge opportunity to improve that. And that's kind of my focus for the past year has been talking to a insurance companies. So the Manulife, Desjardins, the Green Shield candidates who actually give your employers those plans that they can pick from. So don't make it an opt-in. You have to ask for fertility treatment, make it a part of every plan that employees can ask for. Uh, talking to Canada's largest employers. So, you know, I started with the big five banks because I wanted to go like, let's get the biggest reach for your buck. Um, and uh, those conversations just in the last two months, Scotiabank and TD have actually announced much better, inclusive, great fertility benefits packages. So the conversations are working, but it's slow, slow work. Um, and then the other piece of that is really on the, the people side. And that's people like us who work for employers need to talk to them about why they want fertility benefits, why they're important, how much more it would you know help with their retention, their happiness, their loyalty, all of that good stuff. So it's kind of a three-pronged approach on that piece. Big mountain to climb. Just, just a little one. <laughs> but but you've, you've made massive traction. What, if you were to look at your goal, like what success would look like to you for 2022. Um, what, what does that look like? Um, because we're a small volunteer run organization, I set, I try to set small achievable goals, stretch goals. Cause let's aim big. Uh, but in 2022, I want to continue to push Canada's largest employer. So if we could get like the top 10 of the top 
20 largest to announce at least 10 to $20,000 for fertility benefits. And I want at least one of the major insurance carriers to embed fertility coverage into their plans. Um, if you follow us on social media, you've seen Sun Life came out with a new package specifically for fertility benefits, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong. It's wonderful that employers have another choice that they can add into their benefits mix, but to make benefits a lot more inclusive and to ensure it's super easy for employers who don't know what to pick when they have that offering in front of them. I want the Manulifes, the Desjardins, the Green Shields to just say, this is your package. And embedded within that is $20,000 worth of fertility coverage. It's not an opt-in, it's an opt-out and it's great for your employees. And it's going to set you apart as a great place to work. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I mean, it's bananas how much this shit is costing. And to your earlier point too, it's like one round. It, I also don't think the um, people you're speaking to, you're trying to get these benefits in, but at the same time, you're trying to educate them as to like what $20,000 actually does. And then the fact that you're like, the yes, $20,000 is $20,000. Let's not diminish it. But typically a successful IVF is like a two or three round thing. And Absolutely. it's really tricky because your first round is sort of like throwing spaghetti on the wall. You know, um, it's like a learning. Um, I remember speaking to a doctor, he's like IVF, your first round is to learn. And that's a hard concept when you feel like, okay, I'm probably still going to have to pay. Twenty thirty thousand dollars for this, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, there's a lot of members also out in day one that are outside that talk a lot and are outside of Ontario that also really, really struggle because they have nothing there. Absolutely, absolutely. So I guess if like, a few things give me hope, um, one, we're seeing change every day in the positive. Um, in the last year, we had PEI, we had Quebec announced fertility programs. So provinces are learning and listening. So again, why we need to speak up and be loud because these, our voices do make an impact. Um, yesterday, uh, International Women's Day, we had the first egg freezing clinic open in Canada. And how amazing is that to look at fertility, not just from a, I want to make a baby today, but from a, I want to make sure when I'm ready to have a family, I have eggs frozen, ready to go. So I can continue my corporate path. Um, I can choose when I want to make that family. And just to circle back on the conversations I'm having with employers, like they get it. Like the good news is they get it. Everybody you talk to these days knows someone who has gone through fertility, you know, fertility treatment. Let's, let's be real. Um, I think what there's, when I talk to these folks, the things they're struggling with is how do we make it equitable? What's the right amount What's the data behind it? Show me the business case. So last year was really for me looking at what are other countries doing? What data do we have in Canada around fertility benefits packages and um, loyalty retention, um, all of that stuff. So we can, again, make it super easy for, for Canada's business leaders to implement this. And the last thing I'll say is it's not expensive. People assume because $20,000 is a lot of money for one round of IVF. Sure. But when we look at a group benefits package, it's not a ton of money. When we look at how that's spread out, cause you know, how many cycles are not every one of your employees is going to use it. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's not like a high use piece. So 
you can spread that out with small increments off different other pieces and it's not that big of an adjustment for companies. It is um, so hard though to push things forward quickly when um, you are just doing this on, off the side of your desk, you know, and um, like, what could people be doing to help? Like, you know, what could we as a community be doing to push forward? Is there anything like that, that we could rally together um, to help? Yes, yes, absolutely. And I mean, look, I'll start with, if you're passionate about this stuff, join us. Like we're always looking for volunteers and board members at Conceivable Dreams and you can find those details on our website. I would love to hear from you. Um, But there's simple things we can do. A, we're starting conversations. The fact that this podcast exists and people have a safe space, not even a safe space. People can talk about this, can post about this. Like we don't, we need a space where we can just have these honest conversations because that gives people then the confidence to start to have these conversations with their employers, with their physicians, with their MPs, with their MPPs. You know, we have to ask, we have to demand change if we want it. And change will happen a lot faster if we all ask for it together. So let's just set up a scenario here. (laughs) (laughs) um let's role play no I'm kidding um so if I was in a if I had an employer Mm. does that look like me feeling comfortable asking and being like do we have a fertility benefits I would really like one like what tangible things could we do if any um to to get that going And for me, it also sounds like, what does volunteering at Conceivable Dreams look like? Let me ask that first. Let me pull back. What, what, what does volunteering look like? Uh, So volunteering with Conceivable Dreams can take many shapes and forms. Uh, We all do this off the side of our desks. So typically I ask a volunteer, what are you interested? What do you want to, what do you want to do? And then we'll either match you up with one of our other board members in their stream. So government relations, research, communications, marketing, like, so you have kind of someone to direct you or if you have a passion project, I'll bring it and let's, let's make it happen. You know, there's no rules here. It's about finding ways to get further, faster together on this cause. Um, so I'll take anybody more hands makes for lighter work. And I got to tell you like this year's felt slow because COVID has been tough. So um, I'm disappointed that I haven't made further progress on the benefit side to be, to be totally frank, but it's because we're hard on ourselves, right? Like I know how important this is and I want change to happen yesterday. <laughs> I know it's so easy to not celebrate accomplishments because when I talk to you, I'm like, holy shit, this girl is just, <laughs> is just taking names, you know? <laughs> and, you. and for you, it's like, because you are seeing it in a different way. You're seeing your goal in a different way. It feels slow. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so cool. I think over the past, I mean, I've only really been, I, I have only been in the community for less than a year, although I've been struggling for much longer. I've only been aware of, you know, um, different companies and different, um, people posting, but it feels like more than ever people are talking about fertility. You know, every celebrity that I follow these days, I feel like are sharing some, struggle IVF or something, um, 
it's just taken, I think it's kind of started to tip over in terms of conversation. Yeah. And like, look at, I appreciate it. This is a hard topic, but we need to make, we need to find ways to make it less taboo because then it's easier for all of us going through it. It's easier for or the people who want to support us and ask questions and be there to do that. And it provides less permission for the rest of the people who need to make change to ignore us. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And also with women um, in the workforce longer, that's why, you know, I'm sure that's a huge selling. That's a huge selling point for you. It's like, and why egg freezing is so important. What do you think? I'm curious. What do you think the world is going to be in five or 10 years in terms of fertility or what's your dream world look like? Okay. Let's do, let's do the dream world. Then okay. Let's okay. 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 <laughs> I think that, like the dream world is the obvious, like we don't need to have these groups and causes and everything because everybody has endless benefits. It's covered in our provincial healthcare plans. Employers understand that these should be part of a family-friendly benefits package. Our doctors are talking to women in their twenties to say, go and get tested. So that's my not- favorite part of our dream. Right? That is, that's my favorite part of the dream. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. that's the dream. But I think the reality is things move slowly. Um, and we see change happening and we're going to see a huge influx. I think, um, we're already seeing that of new clinics, new offerings, people understanding the opportunity, whether it's for financial gain or for, um, the good of the community, but there is a ton of potential because people are choosing to have create families later. We have more openness and inclusion in society. So there's different ways to make families and we need to explore those. So we're going to see lots more new options come forward. Um, what I don't think we're going to see quickly is the same adoption of finding ways to make them financially more viable unless we collectively people get our hands together, put more pressure on government, put more pressure on our employers to actually make change because it is possible. I see it every day. Let me, um, let me give you an amazing story. Um, a patient had reached out a person through the fertility benefits matters campaign because they worked under a company. Um, it's Canadian tire. So they have different banners under their, their umbrella and realized under the different umbrellas, different people had different fertility packages. And she's like, well, why does so-and-so get X amount, but I only get Y. And they're like, you know what? That's wrong. And they made it across the board, like whatever the best one was, everybody got the best one. So it's, it might be hard to have these conversations, but I promise you the outcomes can be amazing. You just have to ask the question and their strength, the numbers. So the more people doing it, the less lone you'll feel. And in terms of government, like, what does that look like to rally to government? I don't know that stuff, but is it writing to, um, like the federal government? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, there's two pieces. A, we do need a national fertility strategy. It doesn't exist. Uh, The current government has a lot of uh, support for women, a lot of support for diversity and inclusion. So the current government has a lot of support for women, for diversity and inclusion. It would make total sense to me that they would start to look at a national fertility strategy. Not to mention the fact that COVID has made immigration down. People have not had as many babies. We need a way to start replenishing the population. So this makes a ton of sense. So there's that piece. But if you're looking for provincial funding, that's province by province. So 
what you need to do is come together with like-minded folks. That's how Conceivable Dreams was started. Get advice from, from us. We're happy to walk you through the steps. And yes, write your MPPs, write your, um, you know, your local constituent. Every piece makes a difference. Um, admittedly, it's more effective when it's a bit more organized um, and strategic. Full disclosure, you know, whether this stays in or not, um, when we were lobbying the government for the funded program, you know, just like we're approaching an election year, it was it was an election year for the Liberals coming up. So the, the Ontario Fertility Program was a wonderful announcement for them to make, you know, ahead of the election. Uh, so there's, you know, there's strategic ways you can work with uh, others to make sure you're putting pressure on at the right times. Uh, the other dream scenario that I, ha- that's in my dream scenario, <laughs> which I think is going to be a reality is the, um, uh, normalization of what a family should look like, because I think that, um, infertility, you are grieving the loss of the like family that you think well, it, I get the family you think you were supposed to have, but mostly when I, I'm talking about if it's surrogacy, if it's donor, if it's something like this, you know, or you're conceiving through IVF, like you feel like you aren't delivering on that, that dream um, of like that nuclear family where kids are like two or three years apart. Um, and you know, you conceived really quickly and your body was perfect for you. And you had this beautiful pregnancy and then you delivered and it was this la 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 la. And I just feel like, um, in my dream world, it's like, there's not even a, there's not even like a, oh, a natural or IVF or donor or whatever. It's just, it's, it's which, what got you the family? What, what, you know, lane did you choose to drive on to get you what you want versus it being so, um, like that part of this being a devastation. Absolutely. Um, when I started and still today, one of the biggest things that drives me crazy is everybody talks about the one in six couples, you know, face infertility stat. And that drives me crazy because A, it's couples and it's not just couples trying to make families. That stats from 2015. Uh, so we can be pretty sure that it was not inclusive. It wasn't looking at LGBTQ families. It wasn't looking at all the ways we can create a family. Um, and admittedly, when we talk about fertility, like we often take a, like a very cisgender lens of like, it's, it's women in the clinics. We forget that, we need to be very open-minded and oftentimes it's privileged people in the clinics, right? Like if we take a look around, who's in the, the waiting room, it's, it's a whole lot of white people. hundred um, percent. Yeah. So I think we really need to be much more mindful. And I say, this is someone who is constantly trying to question when we're posting and regularly have misses. I know, but because, you know, my excuse is always, I do this off the side of my desk and that's not an excuse. We just, we need to do better. Family comes in every shape and form. It drives me crazy when you do a media interview or, you know, something gets posted online and the comments from the trolls who are average day people and neighbors, probably, um, you know, if you were meant to have a child, you know, God would have given you that ability or you would be able to naturally, you know, all of those comments, we need to just move away from that. You know, everyone should have the right to create their family in whatever way, shape or form that means for them. 
and we have options. So, you know, so many options and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's why for, it's a, um, such a complex issue. Like I see this often. It's like, it's physical, it's emotional, it's, um, economic, you know, it's, um, religious, like there's just so many aspects that come into it. Absolutely. Um, I yeah, always that- like when, you know, for instance, when I started working on the benefit stuff, I'm not a benefit expert. I've learned a lot, but I, I, I compare it to an onion because it was like, every time I felt like I took a step forward, I'd like be like, Oh, but if we, you know, improve benefits, we need to really look at what's the language of what does that money include? And well, if we're going to be inclusive, it needs to include surrogacy, but then we need to look at, you know, egg donation and, oh my gosh, well, that's part of the national fertility strategy, not provincial coverage. And, you know, when we look at how benefits are plans are put together, fertility drugs are considered a lifestyle drug, not just you know, a regular drug there with the Viagra and the anti-smoking medication. Like there's all these challenges that start to emerge as you just start to pick a little bit at some of these problems that make it 10 times bigger, um, or, or provide, let's look at it in a positive, uh, lots of other opportunity to, by looking at one problem, hopefully create solutions for a whole lot more people. Yes. And then you get so overwhelmed that you're just like, I don't even want to do anything. Like, it's just, it's, a, <laughs> and that's why what you're doing is just so amazing because you're still picking at the onion. You know, some people are just <laughs> never, like, yeah, this makes, <laughs> this makes me cry. I'm never doing this again. <laughs> yes, that is totally it. <laughs> well, you are just doing like, honestly, such amazing work and you are going to, be part of, you are part of like systematic change, which is you are, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) but like, you know, I hope you listen to this podcast back Mm. a few times to see what milestones you've hit, Yeah, you know, and we need to kind of step back to and, and remember that we didn't have some of these things before. It's true. It's true. You know what? And I think that's the the thing we can all take away is change is possible. Anyone who's gone through this journey has learned so much. Um, and there's lots of opportunity to continue to improve it and lots of ways to do that, that work within your wheelhouse. Um, so mm-hmm. I am always here. If people have questions, um, if you're in a different province, if you're thinking about what can you do, you have an idea, Um, These are the conversations I love to have because it's a small, it seems like a small community of folks. And whenever you talk to someone, you know, I know our first conversation and was just, you know, it's like lightning in a bottle. You sometimes just meet those people who you just really immediately click with because you have these like-minded goals. So, you know, we gotta, we gotta pursue those and encourage one another. Uh, All the things I have like no words, but it's, it's, it's true. It's like, there's there's the conversations in the community. And then there is the, um, figuring out how we can really make change. And we need, we need both of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do. What advice would you give somebody starting day one of their fertility journey? Oh, ask questions be your own advocate. 
you know, you mentioned earlier, everyone says your first cycle is kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall, um, which is true. But I think sometimes we trust too much in our doctors and assume that they're experts and are giving us the right advice, um, the best advice. And it's not to say they're not, but there's always different ways um, so be that annoying person, ask questions. Can you find that drug cheaper? Is there an alternative? Um, where else could I buy it? What else can we consider from a drug treatment protocol? What success have you had? You're paying a lot of money for these things. So ask questions, get the best advice, talk to lots of people, you know, and then you can make the most out of that day one. I love that. And it's, it's like, educate yourself. I did not do that. Well, it's hard. It's hard to be in the midst of this and learn everything and feel like an expert in every cycle is different. Ugh, like, you know, know. someone's going to tell you, oh, I did this and here's the three things you need to do. Well, you know, there's so many shades of gray. There's no black so and white. So many shades <laughs> of gray. <laughs> so many that it can really drive. And that's the other thing. It's like, it can drive you so crazy. And I think that that also, um, just from what I'm hearing from you, it also has made the, when you know, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this chapter because I, I can't spin anymore. And that's the true, that is also really hard. And I find infertility. It's like, you technically could just keep going and going and going and going and going and going and going. Like, and then you have no life and then you have no friends and you have no relationship and, 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 and you know, no, so money. It's no money. So it's, it's, it's that finding that balance. Um, yeah. 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 It's, and it's different for everybody. It's different for, it's different for everyone, which is a tricky one too, because it's hard comparing yourself and jealousy and all of these emotions are so real. Um, but, but then you can't really compare yourself because everyone's has different bodies. Everyone has different mental, um, capacities. Like it's, um, yeah, it's like a balancing, it's this really crazy balancing act and this, um, learning about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is such a pleasure talking to you. Where can people like find you sign up, help give me all the things. Yes. So Oh, uh, please go to our website, conceivabledreams.org. I apologize. We're volunteer run. It's terrible, but uh, we put our, our efforts into the advocacy and doing the outreach. Uh, find us on social media at IVF4ON and reach out info at conceivabledreams.org if you want to ask a question. Um, I'm always here to chat and we'd love extra hands. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, doing all so the work that you do. Ah. Happy to do it. And let's hope we're talking this time next year and have another huge milestone to celebrate. We will. There's no doubt in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. My mission for day one is to help provide support and new perspectives for those in the midst of trying to build their family. Plus a bit of an educational kick to those supporting loved ones experiencing the struggle but I can't do it alone. I need help to spread the word. So if you have a few minutes to share, write a review or rate this podcast, that would be so appreciated. Let's all do our part to help shed light on the realities of fertility. Also want to learn more about our memberships? Direct message me for a one-on-one connect or check out dayonefertility.com slash membership.